I'm never bored practicing because it's something that I really, really enjoy doing. And let's say for me, I say, okay, I got a 30 minute block. I got stuff to do on this side, but I got 30 minutes I'm gonna devote to practice. And next thing I know, it's been 60 minutes. Welcome to The Art of Attention. This is Darren Larson. This podcast is about strengthening our attention without waiting for the world to get less distracting. Some of our guests are considered experts, whether they've done some research or written a book or have spent a lot of time honing their attentional skills. But I don't think you have to write a book about attention in order to have some interesting stories to share or to have insights that we can all relate to about exercising our attention. This is why I'm super excited about this episode with Carl Coleman. Carl Coleman is a local police officer who also works in executive security. He recently helped keep a presidential candidate safe during a national debate hosted in central Ohio. Carl is a husband, a father, and a lifelong learner. He caught my attention because he's also a musician who started practicing the piano as an adult 11 years ago. It was fun to discover how many interests and experiences that we share. It's the kind of conversation that makes me wonder how many people we might pass by every day without realizing how much we actually have in common. I hope you enjoy it. Carl Coleman, welcome to The Art of Attention. Thank you. Good to be here. I'm curious to hear about the work you do. I've heard, I've heard from a mutual friend uh, some things about you, uh, but I'd like for you to tell me a little bit about what you're up to in the world, the kind of work that you do. I understand that you have background as a plainclothes cop. What are you up to now? Well, I'm still working in that capacity. Specifically, uh, we're known as the gang unit on the street. You know, some of the criminals refer to us as the gang unit. The, the, the real name was the criminal intelligence unit. Um, I do work plain clothes. And uh, some of our duties is just simply gathering intelligence on uh, some of the local gangs here. We were under the subdivision of Homeland Security. The FBI says that gangs are considered domestic terrorists. Okay. So we were under the subdivision of Homeland Security. And we gather intel, we investigate, we execute search warrants, we buy narcotics. Um, pretty much anything to do with gangs or Homeland Security, we cover it. Okay. You know, when there's a home OSU football games, we do bomb sweeps. Um, you know, we do uh, just continuous surveillance two, three days out from the game, leading up to the game and okay. during the game. So what, does the term situational awareness come up in your world? Is that something you guys talk about? We do talk about that, yes. And then what context does that come up? Is, are you given training on that kind of thing? or We do have some training on it. And, and basically it's um, you know almost self-explanatory where you just have to be aware of your situation, what's evolving around you, um, just paying attention to the little things. Mm. Um, for instance... Uh, during the course of my duties, you know, I do a lot of surveillance. I hunt down people with felony warrants, and I may be sitting in a crime-ridden area by myself, um, and you just have to be vigilant and pay attention to what's going around you, okay. as well as when, you know, the person you're looking for may either come out of a house or show up to a house. So you have to be aware of your environment. So I probably see way too many movies about this. I just saw the new Scorsese movie. But in a movie, it's kind of uh, romanticized, I'm guessing. 
we just see the action. But it right. sounds like in your experience, there's probably a lot of waiting around. Do you find that trying to stay vigilant for long periods of time? What do you What do you do? How do you do that? Well, you know, it, it's it's funny you mention that because in the movies, um, a lot of it is romanticized. You'll see, uh, let's say, if a detective make a bust, if you will, and get a gun or someone with some dope. Um, the scene is they got him in handcuffs. They walk him into a precinct. They go to jail, and five minutes later, they're back out on the street. That's not true. Not okay. true at all. Okay. You're going to get tied up with a ton of paperwork for hours before you get back out on the street. Now, for, for say, my purposes, um, if I'm on surveillance, and let's say there's different concentric rings of surveillance. Okay. Let's say if, if my unit is out there, and let's say if someone, um, someone may have the eye on the target or the house okay they have the eye the rest of the team doesn't have to be that close so you kind of take a perimeter further away okay and let's say there's another team that if we're following someone and we're waiting on them to get in the car and leave the person that has the eye will call it and they'll stay put when that person leaves out of their line of sight they air the direction of travel the next concentric ring of surveillance may cover. And so if I'm on an outside ring, I don't, I'm not responsible for the eye. I may listen to a podcast. I might even read a book. But if I have the eye, gotcha. then I have to concentrate on just that. So I'm hearing it's a more complicated but more collaborative effort where you're actually taking advantage of all the potential eyes, right. but sort of taking turns in that front seat maybe I guess is yes. one way to think about it so right. if, if I'm more game on because how do you put it I have I have my eye on it or I'm the eyes right. you're the uh, eye I'm the eye if I'm the eye I gotta be really on my game and really focused vigilant yes. if I'm sort of backing that person up I'm helping expand the scope of what territory they're able to track yes but it's not as it's not where the heat happens to be at that moment right so there is some wiggle room for doing other things but you're ready to go Exactly. Is, that, is that right? That's right. It's a good um, way to put it, wiggle room. And then apparently, or I guess I'm assuming, with experience, you sort of start to get a sense of when you've got to switch over. I'm really interested in not necessarily sustaining like laser-like focus all the time, but being able to toggle onto that as needed, like sort of switch over from... Right. more relaxed to more focused. Uh, I think more ordinary life calls for that. It sounds like you've got kind of a more extreme example where the stakes are higher. But is there anything that helps you, whether it's experience or training or specific strategies that prepares you to be able to make that toggle back and forth? Yeah, so let's say with that same scenario, if I'm the only one out there and I have to stay focused who knows, three, four, five hours because mm. I'm the only one out there. So one thing that I do, I've always had the ability to kind of reflect inward and think about my life and think about where I've come from mm. and think about where I want to be. And if I'm not yet where I want to be, I start to develop strategies to get where I want to be. Okay. And so all this is going on while I'm sitting there focusing on someone either showing up or coming out that I want to arrest and so you know my attention is somewhat diverted from what I'm doing but I'm still pretty much laser focused on any kind of movement that I may see 
and that gives me the ability to sit there for me for hours just game planning life where did i come from where <laughs> it, i want to go it reminds me there's a novelist who is considered one of the most prolific novelists right now joyce carol oates and she says people ask her how do you write so many books and she says she says i really spend a lot of my time looking out a window because she's looking out the window she sees the trees she sees the whatever happens to be there but she's got this background right right and that's kind of what you're describing which is i think different than multitasking because you're not doing two things at once you've kind of got you've got some attention at the ready as needed but then you've got this something going on inside that you can switch off of as needed as well right. is that right that's right um wow interesting and so you know well you, you mentioned um the novelist uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I've been writing a book in my mind for the past 20 years and uh, here recently I just sat down and put pen to paper and I get a lot of writing done in my mind while I'm sitting there doing surveillance. Okay. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because you can work it out. You're working yes. out a narrative thread or a storyline. Right. Testing out a scene or a character. Exactly. And then how does the work you're doing and what you've described so far is it just an exact match to some of the security you provide? Like, uh, what do you call it? Um, bodyguard or executive? Um, executive protection. Executive protection. Is it very similar or? It's, it's very similar. You know, um, I do executive protection on the side. I've done some protection for a couple presidential candidates that's currently running. And a lot of times it involves just sitting still and waiting for the protectee to come out. The presidential debate in Westerville was one example where I'm sitting for hours uh, waiting for him to you know get finished with the debate and come on out and of course once he's done with the debate there's interviews that he has to go through before he actually comes out so there's a lot of downtime and I do the same thing during the downtime I'm game planning life I'm still focused on you know any possible threats that might be around but in most cases there are none so I get to think about the book that I'm writing or I think about where I'm at in life and where I want to be. Wow. This is where I spend a lot of my time relating it to other parts of life. And I just saw a performance by the symphony, Columbus yes. Symphony. There's certain musicians who maybe in this composition, they have a smaller role, or like the timpani player, and waiting, waiting, waiting for their turn. So it's like there's things we all do to come up with how do I navigate that time. So it sounds like in addition to the novel prep, though, is this where you would also use some of your attention for education, like if you're studying something. Right. So yeah. tell me a little bit about the education you got most recently and how you incorporated that into your routine. Okay, so I believe it was back in 2014, 2015, I went back to school to obtain my master's degree. And so uh, this was a three-year program. But I, the person that told me about this program, uh, it was a master's of science in uh, Homeland Security. Okay. This ties in directly to what I do now. And he told me that he did the accelerated course in one year. So I work probably 60, 65 hours a week. And I'm thinking, well, if he, if he can do it, certainly I can do it. And I did the accelerated course in one year. And it helps that if I'm sitting and I'm doing surveillance, I can, I can get some schoolwork done while I'm doing surveillance. Okay. I can still be focused. Okay. If I have a paper to write. Let's say with regard to protection of the power grid here, infrastructure protection, I can sit there and think about, okay, what do I want to write about, what's important, what's not important, 
if I were a terrorist, well, how would I attack? What would, you know, mm. and just game plan mm-hmm. that way. And you do the same thing with executive protection. You what if? You sit there and you game plan and you say, okay, if this happens, what am I going to do? Where do you learn these skills? Is that something being mentored or learning from your other colleagues? How do you know what to do with that time? Well, a lot of it's training and with repetition comes the habit. Mm-hmm. And so if you go over and over in your mind, what if this happens? What if that happens? When it does happen, then you're prepared. You're not taken by surprise. Okay. If it doesn't happen, great. It's a great day. But um, through training, through repetition, and a lot of it is life experience. You know, I've been doing this work for 31 years now. Okay. So, you know, you don't, not that you've seen and done it all, because life comes at you fast, Mm -hmm. and life throws you some curveballs, but there's a lot of experience there, and you've seen and you've done a lot. So then I'm assuming maybe do you find yourself in a mentor role with that kind of experience helping the newer folks? Definitely. definitely. So where I really kind of relate to the challenge or what I see as potential challenge of this is where your attention is going during those stretches of time. You can't necessarily read that from the outside. So as a mindfulness teacher, I'm teaching people that just because someone's sitting there with their eyes closed doesn't mean they're necessarily having a great time. They might have, their thoughts might be all over the board, right? So trying to help map or clarify the reality of what can be going on in someone. You just can't, we don't know what's going on in someone else's mind, uh, right? So how do you, in, in your world, how do you find it? Is it easy to bridge that to compare notes or to pass that knowledge and experience you have on to someone about that? that kind of stuff that people can't see from the outside? I, I think it is. And, and, you know, with regard to, let's say, law enforcement or executive protection, that's something you can you can see, you can put your hands on. Mm. And so follow my lead. Um, and I lead by example. So if I want you to, let's say, be vigilant and concentrate on what you're doing, if you see me chasing butterflies off someplace, you know, you're not going to be attentive, but if you see that I'm attentive as the trainer, wow, yeah, um, and I say, hey, you know, stand over here, be alert, do X, Y, Z, and you see me do it, then you're going to do it too. So you actually role model that, and you then I take it probably recognize when someone isn't paying attention. You can yes. Do you have certain signs you can tell like a more rookie person? Well, you, well, you know what? With today's millennials, the cell phone. Is a huge distracting factor. So you see somebody get out the cell phone or sending a text message, you're not paying attention, especially with prolonged usage of that cell phone. You, you're engaged in a conversation that has nothing to do with the job at hand. I think all of us can relate to that for driving. Yes. But then I, it's interesting to think about that in your your line of work. And I, I'm taking it, it's probably a slow tip for them to absorb are they resistant to that uh usually not because let's say in the field of executive protection if the client who's paying you see that you're distracting and you're on the phone that's not a good thing and and so let's say if i brought you on to work with me on a detail mm-hmm. um then you need to be listening to what i tell you to do and if i say hey the client doesn't want to see you on the phone gotcha continuously everyone has to take a call every now and then or receive or send a message but it shouldn't be continuous it's the continuous that's the problem right yeah right. and then that's going to break your concentration and i wonder 
if that makes you less able to toggle back into which where you need to be with some people yes it, it's a huge distracting factor okay um so you you want to keep that to a minimum and then in other cases let's just say uh, since we're talking ep or executive protection work let's say someone is actually with we call it the package or the principal inside somewhere and i'm outside i have outside security or containment and they need to communicate with me then it's permissible it's actually a tool, a communication a tool, tool in that case. It is, it is. But that's different than I'm paying attention to something completely unrelated. Exactly. Or am I getting engaged in like a socializing with someone who's not there? And some, some people like to, what's that game, like Candy Crush, I think it is. Oh, they play you a know, game. From what I understand, it's a pretty addictive game. And now you're involved in the game. You're not focused on what you should be focused on. Do they ever say, do you ever get pushback like, I'm as focused as you are, even though I'm doing this, because I've always done this. Is that something you ever... Uh, you you know, usually for the, the seasoned older people, like myself, they probably can concentrate and do both. But for, you know, the younger crowd, I think it's a little bit difficult for them to do it. They need to learn the basics first before they can... Right. I feel like that is a distinction that's hard to maybe clarify, but there's a distinction between I'm remaining alert even though I've got something else going on in my mind, is different than I'm alert and I'm getting myself absorbed in a completely different task. We're talking about that's multitasking there. Where the other one I think is more like a kind of an attentional agility where I can switch back and forth. Right. And I do wonder if that agility is something that um, you really have to exercise it to to get it. And and then also, you know, with the the education piece, you know, I, I enjoy challenge. I'm a pretty competitive guy, you know, growing up competing in sports. Um, I did it in college, post-college. So the challenge of completing a master's in one year, like the person who told me did, it was a challenge, especially mm. given the amount of hours that I, that I work. And so the challenge is how do you balance it? How do you juggle it? Because at some point you got to sleep. Mm-hmm. you got to work. Yeah, how'd and, you do that? And you have papers that's due. Yeah, <laughs> right. So that's when you really, really have to uh, stay focused. And for me, the focus part of it is the challenge part of it. Because, you know, when, you, when you're working on your master's, you have to maintain a certain GPA. Mm-hmm. And so for me, in the back of my mind was, okay, well, if he did it, then I can do it. And, and he wasn't the first one to have done it. Right. So... Others have done it, then I should be able to do it too. And the challenge piece is also what keeps me laser focused. Okay. Is there any other things you learn? Or is there something that helped you be successful in that? So you, you pulled it off. You did it in a year. Were there certain things that, that you relied on? One thing that I rely on academically, athletically, work-wise, just in life, is I'm a huge believer and visualization. So I always say if you can see it in your mind's eye, mm. then you can obtain it. And so a lot of times if I'm sitting there doing surveillance, I visualize and I see things in my mind's eye. Oh, interesting. And, and, and once I do that, I can carry it out. And so I, I've taught my kids to do the same thing as best I can. So in that context, it would that be that you're visualizing an ability or something related to the work you're doing? Can you give a specific example of how you... Exactly. So let's say on an athletic playing field. I wrestled in college. So post-college, I still competed in tournaments. 
So do I have the time to practice the way I'd like to? Absolutely not. But I would go over and over in my mind certain moves that I wanted to do to my opponents. And I would also I'll say I would go uh, three, let's say three moves. If I do that and you block it, then I'll go to this move. And if you block that, then I'll go to this move. Usually one of them would work, police work wise. Okay, I sit there and I, and I visualize and say, okay, well, it's the holiday. So what's the likelihood that this person is going to show up at his mom's house for the holiday? Or he's already there and he's going to come out. And I see it happening and I, and so I, I may scan the environment and figure, okay, if he comes out, and I approach him and he runs, which is the path that he would most likely take. Okay. And so you just visualize and see things. And, and so you do the intercept way before it happens. Wow. I just had this connecting the dots between your trying to write a novel. It's kind of similar. You're playing out scenarios. Exactly. Right. And then the scenarios right. are specific to what could happen. And I'm imagining you probably try about try a bunch out. You got time. I have nothing but time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so congratulations on the on the masters. Um, anything else about that process you think might well, be? Well, that that masters in homeland security again it ties directly into my work and and even travels. I had an opportunity to go to uh, Tel Aviv, Israel, and do some studying and training with some of their security forces there. And we learn how they secure their infrastructure in Israel. And so when you compare how they protect their infrastructure versus how we do ours here, it's a big difference. And they're excellent at what they do. And we have some work to do here in this country. So you actually saw some benefit to how they were doing it, maybe a little differently. Yes. Was there something like specific you can share about something that stood out about that or what, caught, what caught your attention? So when, when we talk about laser focus... Okay. And, and in that case, you know, over there, their lives may depend on it for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. So in one area, we go into a police facility where there's a, a ton of cameras on a specific site. And so their security personnel there is focused with laser focus on those cameras. Their attention didn't deviate from those cameras, if if at all, but for a split second. But they're looking at everything. We're, as here... Some places we have surveillance cameras, and there's no one even manning the cameras. Ah, uh, okay. But there, you have to be vigilant, and they were. You, you could be fired for not being attentive to, to duty. Well, that's interesting. So then kind of makes me wonder how, I mean, in our culture in general, I think there's a tendency, once we find a tool, then we sort of overly rely on the tool instead of, right. uh, as if the tool is going to do something without us being, right. you know, <laughs> right? Yes. So it makes me wonder if there's partly that might be at play. And I think we're all guilty of that. We find out something, a tool makes it easier and we kind of ease up and maybe a little too much. We do. Um, do you think we have something to teach them? Did you? Was that part of what you noticed as well? Uh, no. <laughs> it, was, it, it was one dimensional. We, we, we were there to study and learn from, from them. And uh, <laughs> they pretty much have it down to a science. You know, you have one small country surrounded by hostiles Mm. so you have to be vigilant in protecting your country your infrastructure because they're under constant attack where that's not the case here so what a great opportunity and that was around the same time of your master's program so or was about four years prior to me working on a master's okay okay so 
yeah, let's talk about how you came across my radar, which is kind of a, I think, an interesting <laughs> story. <laughs> so we have the same piano teacher. And my story is that I played the piano all growing up, uh, all the way through high school. And then I started uh, my college, I started out as a piano major, actually. And I ended up not liking it. And I don't know, there's lots of reasons for that. But for whatever reason, I kind of put a hold on it. And that's 33 years ago. <laughs> and so uh, what happened in my experience is I kept running into pianos out in the world. And since I hadn't been practicing and I didn't have any sheet music and my eyes are not getting younger. Um, so if I did have sheet music, it's harder. But I found that I could not show at all what I was capable of. And so I said, I was looking for, can someone help me? So, so Mary Ellen Fitzer, I found out about her. And I said, here's my goal. I want to be able, if I'm at a restaurant, I'm at a party and there's a piano, I want to be able, I want to be able to sit down and blow people out of the water. <laughs> so, so I got a couple questions. Oh, for good. You so given the years of experience playing, you didn't think that you could sit down and just play something, anything. It didn't have to be a Beethoven or Chopin piece, just anything. So the... My in particular, I relied heavily on sight reading and practicing heavily, right? Those two things. Right. So if I saw a piano at a restaurant, I had nothing to draw from. If there was some sheet music around, and wow. it's probably something old and that's, tattered, that's, that's and it'd incredible. be like, right? <laughs> right? And so what it would actually kind of an ego thing, I think, at the heart of it, is I would play any little something and people would be so impressed. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> like, I appreciate it, but don't be impressed by this because I used to play big things. How'd you hear about Miss Fitzer? I'm friends with her her daughter-in-law. <laughs> so I actually, you know, yeah, that's a funny connection. And it was just kind of a random thing. I actually ran into Mary Ellen's husband at a work-related thing. Right. And we were comparing notes, and I said, I have, and I told him exactly what I just told you. I want to be able to, you know, have you ever seen a piano at the airport? Sometimes they'll have pianos at the airports. I've seen YouTube videos of random pianos. Exactly, like that. Yes. So I'm like, it's like I'm walking by that piano, and it's starting to actually really get to me that I want to be able to sit down on that piano and have, you know, draw some attention. <laughs> and so, can what do you think about this? And so, we know we started lessons, and I'm super pleased with how that's gone because luckily it's still in there in my brain, yes. but it's like a muscle that had been unexercised. And you know, I would pull out stuff for the holidays for Christmas and stuff, but I hadn't been practicing. And I think the thing I didn't expect is she's got a really good ear, yes, and there's no fool in her. So I, she keeps me on my game, and knowing that her ear is going to be there uh, at my next lesson, it's got me working harder. So, um, so what's your what's your story about working so, with her? So here, here's my piano story from my childhood days. Love music, always love music. Wanted to play the piano. We were poor, didn't have the means for me to take lessons, and so we had a, a kid at my church that played by ear, he's a pretty good player. And then after a couple of years, his parents started getting him lessons and he's getting better and better. So fast forward to the teenage years, 13, 14, you know how it is when you're a guy, you can play the piano and the girls all clamor around. Oh, okay. Oh, can you play, can you play? And so I'm on the outside looking in, just seething with anger because the girls are all around him because uh... he can, I'm like, man, I'll knock him out. 
he can play the piano. <laughs> but, you know. That's one motivation, right? <laughs> yeah. So fast forward, I took a, a like a, a half a credit piano course in college. Um, loved it. Didn't continue after that. Again, money. My kids, we had a piano in the house. All three of my children were taking lessons, and they hated it. Okay. But they loved to show off the little bit that they could play. Okay. But they hated the practicing. Mm-hmm. And so we made them do it for one year, my wife and I, and uh, they wanted to stop. So due to sports and other extracurriculars with them, practices and whatnot, we let them stop. So the piano's sitting there collecting dust. Okay. And I think probably two, maybe two years down the road after they quit playing, I'm thinking, hmm, I always wanted to learn how to play. Let me find an instructor and get some lessons. So I went back to where they were having their lessons and talked to a guy who gave me Miss Fitzer's name. Now, the funny story about that is when I showed up to her house, I was probably looking kind of bummy. And um, here you got an older white lady and, and, a, and a black guy just randomly showing up to her door. Knock, saying, knock. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I want some lessons. And, and so I could see the look of concern on her face. And so I said, well, pulled out my badge. I badged her and said, hey, I'm a Columbus police officer. Um, here's my name. Here's my number. Call it in. Check out my credentials. That me. Call me back yeah. if you're able to give me lessons. When she called me back and was very embarrassed that she actually, ch- and I said, hey, you check out whoever you're going to have in your home. Mm-hmm. You make sure you check that person out. You right. vet them before you get them. So it was a match made in heaven. I told her, I said, I, I need you to treat me like I'm that five-year-old student because I couldn't read music. I couldn't read a lick of music. I couldn't do anything. Okay. I said, and like you, I said, here's my goal. I want to be able to sit down at a piano and just play. I don't need to be a concert pianist. I just want to be able to sit down. I love music and just play some songs, play some gospel. I love gospel. I love blues. Uh, I want to be able to play that stuff. And I know at the same time, it's it's classical piano. So I'm getting some... Uh, like technical training. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I want to learn everyday popular music. And so from time to time, I bring in music of the day, uh-huh. sheet music, and she would help me figure out how to play it. And so here has been, I think, 11 years later, um, I'm still with her. And the frustrating part for me is I don't have the time to practice the way I'd like to. Mm-hmm. Because in my mind... I should be further along mm-hmm. than where I'm at. Well, I think this is a real thing, and I, I don't have the time either. Uh, I find it comes and goes, and, you know, if you don't practice, it starts to slide. It's a yes. it's a muscle. It's like a muscle. Um, and also, I think what I love so much about your story is there's a thing that the neuroscientists are finding, that our brains can continue to learn as we get older, but it does take longer for an adult than a child. So there's that window when you're a kid, you've got more uh, flexibility or plasticity in your brain. As an adult, you got to hang in there longer. So a kid is willing, like when I was little, I would be willing to go through the motions. What else am I going to do? I'm a kid. It's just like another homework thing. And then one year, two years, three years pass, suddenly I can play something that starts to get attention. But an adult, that's a long wait. If you're waiting two, three, four, ten years. And it didn't quite take me that long. Okay. But when I got started, she had a, a five-year-old student that got started with me. And so 
that student kind of surpassed where I was at after about four or five years. She no longer has that student, but I would always compare and say, okay, well, what's she working on now? (laughs) I get it. And her lessons would end as my lessons, you know, our lessons butted up to one another. So I had an opportunity to hear her play while I'm waiting for her lesson to finish up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, man, she's she's getting pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> those kids, darn it. Yeah, you learn, you're right. You do. You learn at a different rate as a child versus mm-hmm. an adult. And you have to adjust. You do. You have to adjust. I, I run into this with if you're going to develop your attention through mindfulness practice, it's not going to happen overnight, uh, and it's going to take a little longer the older we are. Miss Fitzer actually was. She was surprised that I stuck with it because she didn't think that I would. And then she would think, say, if I'm the piece we're on now. Okay. We've been on this piece now for probably easily a month. And she think that maybe I'm getting frustrated and I'm ready to move on. And number one, I'm not because it's a challenge and I love challenges, number one. Number two, I know that if I just had the time to devote to practicing that piece the way that I should, I'll get it. And number three, I have other music that I work on in addition to that piece to keep from being bored. Okay. But I, and I'm never bored practicing, yeah. playing, yeah. because it, it's it's something that I really really enjoy doing. And you know as well as I, it relaxes you. And let's say for me, I say okay, I got a 30 minute block. I got stuff to do on this side. But I got 30 minutes. I'm going to devote to practice. Mm-hmm. And next thing I know, it's been 60 minutes. Totally. That's exactly so right. It's easy to engross yourself in. It's like the hardest practice. part is sitting down on that bench I'll say I'll just run through this once next thing you know it's an hour yeah that's how it works right and then the challenge is if I don't have that hour and that's life that's real and that's (laughs) the difference and I also don't have an end point in mind actually I've been kind of thinking about this lately because it's not like it's not like I'm going to be a concert pianist but I really do enjoy every time I get to add some new thing. But when I add right. this one and I add this one and then this one starts to crumble a little, you know, that's how it goes. But, wow, it's just so great to hear your story about sticking to something for 11 years so far. Hey, here's something for you. To yeah. Do. Can you imagine as a child, you're at a piano recital, a bunch of kids your age, and then you got an old person. That was me. Okay. She wanted me, she asked me about doing a recital a few years ago, and I told her, hey, okay, I'll do it. You know, why not? She was like, oh, really? I said, yes, ma'am, I'll do it. And uh, so, you know, I put on the suit, and we all did <laughs> We went over to, uh, I guess it's over on what, Morrison Carl, and I was taken aback because even though, you know, we practiced on her baby grand, that was a grand piano oh, right. that I was playing on. And it kind of like, oh, my God, that thing looks like it's as big as a football field. Yeah. Same keys. Right. And so that kind of, I was a little bit disconcerted. I know this feeling. Yeah. And it not, I wasn't nervous about people watching because, you know, I'm used to performing, if you will, on an athletic playing field with people watching. But it just seems so immense. And I'm like, oh, man, it kind of threw me off. Say, okay, well, let me find middle C. I got my bearings, started playing. I messed up in the end. But the audience would never know because right. I had lived and, and Miss Fitzer has a perfect ear. She has a perfect so ear. She knew I messed up. <laughs> Nobody else knew. You know, being the old man in the, the group of these kids was kind of funny to me. Yeah, no, I think it has to be funny if we're going to stay in it. And I, I do remember my parents bought a garage sale piano. I, I want to say this is in the 70s, but like $15. 
right. and then painted it like avocado green and it had it was like an upright and it had most of the keys had something wrong it wasn't all in working order right. <laughs> and that's what i was used to but one of my earliest memories of my mom getting me out of school taking me to this high school or something and it was an auditorium and i had to walk up to that stage to a grand piano and there's a bench that was leather yeah it's intimidating it is that is not just furniture that is uh <laughs> it's like radiating something that it kind of says are you sure you're worthy it's, you know <laughs> right, right. and and it, you don't necessarily feel it if that's not what you're practicing on so it's intimidating and i do think there is something funny about performing at all the fact that we would put ourselves in that spot in that hot seat because it it's a it's a the payoff the risk for payoff is really high if it goes well right but it's easy for it to not go well uh so what makes you stick to it at this point the the number one thing is that i really really love music and so i want to be able to play music I won't say create because I'm not creating anything. Mm -hmm. I'm just reproducing what I've already heard. Mm -hmm. And I had a pianist tell me at the Claremont restaurant that used to be on South High Street. I was watching him play. This was seven, eight years ago. And he just ran through a whole set of music with no sheet music. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching him and I'm just amazed. And so when he got done with his set, I went over and I talked to him. And he says, let me tell you something. He said, number one, I've been playing since I was a small child. He was probably 70 or so at that time. He said, I've been playing since I was a small child. He said, you have to remember, people want to hear you play. They don't want to hear you reproduce something that's already been. And I said, but sir, you don't understand. I don't have the ability to play like that. I don't have the ability to improvise right now. So if I had sheet music in front of me, I have to play what I see. And I'm okay with that. I'm great with that. Mm -hmm. You know? Like you said, we this brain is frozen almost. We learn at a different rate than kids. So right now, I'm at the stage where I've got several songs memorized. I can sit down at any piano, play them. My sight reading is okay, whereas yours is probably excellent. Um, but here's a classic example. So I ran across a musician who plays keyboard in a band. And so I was trying to learn... Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On, one of my favorite songs. He didn't know how to play it, but he's like, if you got some sheet music, I can play it. So mm -hmm. I gave him my sheet music. He struggled mm -hmm. to play it. Mm -hmm. His playing was about as lousy as mine okay. from reading the sheet music. So I've, I've told Mrs. Fitz, I say, look, I'm that guy that if I could play as well as Stevie Wonder or Ray Charles and I couldn't lead a lick of music, I wouldn't be that guy. I would rather play like that than to be able to read music. I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So what would you say to someone who said, why should I, it doesn't have to be piano. I mean, really, we're talking about skill development. That could be a foreign language. That could be any instrument. It could be learning, like going back and learning math because you didn't do so well. Right. What would right. you say to an adult who's got a full-time job, maybe even in school? What's the point of devoting half an hour 20 minutes a day to learning a skill at this point in your life what's what would you say to, to me it's the sense of pride of accomplishment whether or not you will become a concert pianist or you'll become a, a mathematician or a scientist or you know just the sense of having accomplished something that you set out to accomplish and you know it, whatever the case may be let's say working out lifting weights <laughs> and you wanted to be able to bench press 200 pounds or three. And so over the course of time with diligence, 
and hard work you eventually get there to set the goal and to be able to accomplish the goal I would encourage any adult to hey go after that dream that you may have had finish up what you started mm-hmm. and 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 the big thing is see it in your mind's eye way before you even endeavor to do it see it mm-hmm. and see yourself finishing and you'll get there it sounds like that served you well a couple things I hear that are big themes in the work I do I think people don't realize what's possible. If you make small changes consistently over time, that builds up. And I think people don't know how to see that or don't know how to um, connect those dots. I want the outcome now, or I don't want to put in the time, or some kind of guarantee, I guess. And here's the other piece of that that works for me. I'm the kind of guy that, you know, I like to have fun, I love to laugh, and I try to find humor in everything. And, And this is something that that I did unintentionally I wasn't expecting people to either hear it or laugh about it but uh, (laughs) the piano recital so I sat down everybody's quiet number one because I'm old and I'm the only black guy in the room (laughs) they want to see what I'm going to play and so I sat there and I did like this and they heard it (laughs) cracking your knuckles (laughs) yeah (laughs) said it was a couple chuckles like oh man he's going to tear it up (laughs) so you know just finding humor mm-hmm. in things to relax you mm-hmm. so that you can focus you shouldn't be all at uptight about things but i think you're also kind of a thread i hear in everything you're saying today actually and i really appreciate this conversation so much it's illustrating something very subtle something deeply human which is a almost muscle memory or how do i put this i think of it as a taste there's a taste of I keep showing up, challenging myself within my range, right? So this is a reasonable challenge for me. Yes. And there's something surprisingly delicious. There's that's a taste you can acquire or right. reacquire. Because I think we're, we have it more in childhood. We're willing to play without so much worry about the outcome. But as right. adults, we have to reacquire that taste. Definitely. Does that seem res- like it resonates? Because it, I it hear does. it in what you're saying. It's like the outcome isn't the point, but there's something satisfying about putting in a few minutes a day towards that skill development, that it's its exactly. own reward, I guess. It, it is. It really is. Um, and, and, I mean, you nailed it. As a child, you're not that concerned about Right. You just want to go out and play it or do it. As an adult, you're worried about the outcome, what people are going to think, how am I going to look. Just do it. Just do it. And it's funny how something inspired you as a child to even want to, you know, and you had obstacles to that. I certainly had obstacles all along the way to that as well. We all still have that little spark of inspiration. Right. But what we lose, we start to lose is maybe hope of, or or we we get this, why bother? which I don't think really serves us very well. No, and, and people, you know, the older you get, you say, you know what, why bother why this bother? late stage in life? You know, I got other things I could be doing. And, but, you know, it's just like the Nike, you know, slogan, just do it. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think what you can't imagine until you experience this, it's not about winning an award or, like you said, cutting a record deal or whatever. It's that there's something satisfying about learning a new skill, learn developing a skill it for is. its own sake. Right. Is you can't really imagine until you try. And I do work with some older folks who 
just in simple basic mindfulness very quickly they're like oh my gosh mm. i'm noticing more richness in ordinary moments i know i'm 80 years old i never knew i could do it's the same thing i'm right. talking about right? right and and the same is true with you know i like to fish i'm sitting there fishing waiting on a bite and i'm in the middle of a thought process again about life where i am at where i want to be uh how do i plan to get there and you start to visualize and focus on that and all of a sudden you got a nibble my ability to focus and see things in my mind has served me well and patience mm -hmm. sitting and watching and waiting and i don't i don't hunt animals i hunt two-legged animals i hunt people and so you know it serves me well in that capacity it's like that they talk about the flow state you get caught up in it the sense of time passing changes and i also hear in your stories um attention is a transferable skill you know you hone it in one area i right. do i actually think yes. that's kind of a a theme of our conversation today is you hone it in one area and you realize it applies to Several oh this areas. right wow i mean we cover a lot is there anything else you can think of that we haven't covered that people would find interesting I, especially the music piece uh, um and uh, obviously that's the connection uh -huh. that we have and your face lights up and you're smiling when you're talking about your music and the piano and I know for me too and it's just that uh, the, the one thing that I found to be true with regard to music if you spoke Chinese and I spoke Arabic music notes are music notes mm -hmm. that's the universal language so we can communicate through music mm -hmm. which I believe is why the world the world love let's say Michael Jackson Prince uh, any other major icon that may have passed away whose music crossed over the ocean the mm -hmm. Beatles, you know, whatever. Um, that's the connect. Mm -hmm. Music. I know a lot of people say that if you teach a child how to read music, they're probably going to do well in math. I didn't understand it prior to being involved with music, but now I do. And being able to concentrate and focus on a piece that I'm working on, it, like you said, it all lines up with paying attention. And it's, it's been easier for me to do as an adult. You know, I was a college athlete. My focus was on sports and not academics at certain periods. Mm -hmm. And so in order to remain eligible, I could focus, do what I needed to do uh -huh. to ace an exam. Uh -huh. And I'm like, man, you know what? If, if I'd have done that at that time in my life, I'd be a doctor right now, not a police officer. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Right. But I still think it's not too late to apply it, right? So it's not no I think that's a great place to stop and again I really appreciate your generosity your time and comparing notes it with me but thank you so much Carl <laughs> and thanks for listening I hope you'll take Carl's encouragement personally and consider picking up a skill you've been meaning to learn just for the satisfaction of challenging yourself in the show notes you'll find links to a few resources related to topics Carl and I discussed in this episode. If you enjoyed our conversation, I hope you'll help us spread the word. In addition to listening on wcbe.org to the WCBE podcast experience, you can also listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and even on the Insight Timer Meditation app. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest on a future episode, please email me at darren, D-A-R-O-N, at attentionalfitness.com. You can also email me anytime with questions or feedback about the show. Until next time, let's don't wait for the world to get less distracting. Find ways to exercise your attention right now. 
I'd love to hear about it.